In the absence of optimism for the present, I bring you stories of the past. Please don't confuse my lack of optimism for a lack of hope. There is a difference. My hope is that you're living a full and exciting life, and you're as free from anxieties for which you have no remedy as is possible under the circumstances. As I speak these words, it's currently June 15th, 2020, and our world is in turmoil. A morphing chameleon of a pandemic has taken a very reluctant backseat to the inevitable and ongoing fight for justice and equality for oppressed peoples. Our poorly chosen leaders are failing us the world over, and it feels as if the very idea of truth is constantly in question. Honestly, the rage we've seen this far seems like not quite enough. Injustice seems to have the upper hand in this very weird and indecently prolonged war. I wonder, if an alien species arrived here to find us in this conflict, would we have the decency to be properly embarrassed? It's uncomfortable to have to say it like this, but we're witnessing a battle of beings who occupy the same planet, breathe the same air, and bathe constantly in the same atomic soup, being cruel and reckless to other members of the same species of creature who simply happen to have been born with different skin color, religious beliefs, and or points of origin. Our dedication to these absurd notions has left an indelible stain on our kind. In the midst of this, I have not been in the streets voicing my own rage at this injustice. Instead, I've been working gardening mostly, building things, making repairs, and doing what I can to stay busy and to fund our next escape from the U.S. Fortune has been incredibly kind to us. We're well-fed, occupied with satisfying projects, and free, at the moment, from illness. Ultimately, we're thriving in our little bubbles. I can't be in a position like this and not think about how many others are not so fortunate. honestly have no idea how to be useful to those struggling with inequality I've been privileged to avoid in my life. Even if I agree with them, my temperament doesn't recommend me for the shouting of slogans. I'm just not a protester. However, I realize it's my privilege which allows me to choose not to protest in this moment. I understand silence can mean complicity, but as always, I think for myself and act accordingly. I'm going to do what I can to amplify the stories of people who need to be heard, regardless of their skin color. I'll sign any petitions I find reasonable, and I will continue to write to our elected officials. But outside of that, I'm not sure what else I can do. My sweet and thoughtful wife, however, 
has endeavored to educate herself on these issues and how she can react to them. She's deeply concerned in doing her best to be an ally in whatever way she can. For whatever reason, I have not done that. As I said, I've been gardening, and somewhat poorly, I might add. Recently, in an accident involving a profound lack of attention to detail, I managed to overfill a small pond and subsequently killed all four of my friend and benefactor's prized koi fish, as well as an uncountable number of tiny mosquito fish. While I do eat animals, including fish, the death of these creatures has impacted me in a bizarre and strangely familiar way. I'll tell you more about that in a bit, but first, I'd like to paint out why this misuse of my attention is relevant to how I feel about the current moment in history. Contented fish living in that pond had no reason to suspect I might do anything to harm them. Twice a year, I'd get in that pond with them to clean up the bottom and replant the lilies and irises which grow there in large and heavy pots. A few years ago, I put in a small pump and a fountain in order to aerate their environment. And so far as I could tell, they seemed to like the change. I loved feeding them, and I watched as the little fish would take away what they could, and the bigger fish took what they wanted. Incidentally, I'm similarly endowed with a sense of safety as I walk the streets of my home country, encountering police, authority figures, and shitloads of white people who live around here. And like the environment in that pond, I watch as some take what they can get, while others take what they want. Observing these fish so relaxed and seemingly in command of their environment often made me wonder, to what am I oblivious? If observed from above or below by another creature, what would I be seen as doing with my time? Am I as safe as I think I am? Am I as kind as I ought to be or even as kind as I think I am? Am I a dick? Do I pay any attention to anything ever? What danger lurks in the next world, the future, the present? Now, with my fish friends departed, and in light of the protests in our streets, I think about how my dangers differ from someone who isn't a tall white guy. Burdening others with my own guilt is not my intention here. It's not productive to make others consider the guilt I feel for being fortunate or the guilt I feel for being careless and unintentionally cruel. My intention is not to burden anyone or to unburden myself. Expressing regret is one thing. I just don't want to make it anyone else's problem.
The story I'm about to tell you is a mechanism for processing complex feelings and studying unanswered questions. Telling these stories is a way for me to learn from my mistakes and failures in perception. By sharing them with you, maybe both of us can learn a little something about paying attention or dealing with burdensome feelings and being a better ally to those who need us. Also, it's pretty important to remember they're just stories. So let's discuss dead animals and think about injustice by considering the following emotions. Guilt, anxiety, sadness, regret, and a dash of self-loathing for good measure. I didn't kill those fish out of malice, but that's a little consolation to me and absolutely zero consolation to those fish who suffocated in an overabundance of poisonous and chlorinated city water, carelessly dumped there by a guy currently telling himself, hey buddy, you're not a monster, you're just an idiot. But when it comes to considering what I'm oblivious to, I think back to what makes these feelings of regret, anxiety, and sadness so familiar to me. And I land in Mississippi in the summer of 1985. I was a happy little guy at the age of five, practically bursting at the seams with an energy I can occasionally find, but for which I'm almost always searching. On one of those relentlessly sunny and humid summer days, my dad told my big sister and I we'd be going to see the Muppets on Ice later that evening. I was out of my mind with excitement. I loved Kermit the Frog, Animal the Drummer, and whatever the fuck Gonzo is. Kermit was my guy, though because he's a frog, and frogs are my absolute favorite animal. I still have a small clay frog, which was the very first purchase I ever made in my life. It rides in our van above the steering wheel and has been sitting next to a small golden Buddha and a figure of Yoda for almost 35 years. Feeling down, I'm acting grumpy. I'm a fool like everyone else. I'm falling down, dancing monkey. I need to be by myself Should take a long walk out through the desert Living in the rocks like a blue-bellied lizard 
not come back till I'm dry weather then come back as dancing at that time in my life, I got up early pretty much every day and found myself running down our long driveway to get the paper for my mom and dad. After that, on Saturdays especially, I'd watch cartoons, run into the bathroom to brush my teeth every time a toothpaste commercial interrupted the show. When all the good shows were over, I was outside for the rest of the day. We were fortunate to grow up in the country. We had plenty of space where I could play in the woods or run around in large open fields sort of an endless variety of options for an imaginative guy to spend his otherwise unoccupiable time. We had a set of large and heavy pointed lawn darts. Now if you don't know what a lawn dart is, take a moment to google that phrase and keep scrolling down until you see something that looks totally unsafe. Those are the ones we had. some dumb reason, I was tossing one of those darts into a shrub near the house. I was leaping around like some sort of spastic Luke Skywalker, throwing darts with childish flourish and collecting them from under the bush before the next throw. On one crazy toss, I heard a bizarre and heavy thud when the dart penetrated the bush. It was honestly an unforgettable sound. Heavy, of course, slightly wet, and exactly the sound you might hear when your life changes more than just a little bit. Pushing back a few branches, I reached into the bush, and I saw it, my faded red dart, protruding from the neck of a large frog who was struggling to cross the rainbow bridge into Frog Valhalla. Why are there so many songs about rainbows, and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong, wait and see. Someday we'll find it. The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers, and me I'd never felt such an immediate pain in my heart. Something about the inevitability of it, the sheer irreversibility of what I'd just done was draining me of any access to the joy I'd previously had. The taking of an innocent life hit me in the chest like a lawn dart made of guilt thrown by an angry giant of my own making. I didn't know what anxiety was at the time, but my entire core was filled with it. I told my parents what I'd done. My mom, always the practical and compassionate type, was a great consolation and told me not to worry. My dad through no fault of his own, was conditioned to make fun of me for being such a pussy about the whole thing. He knew my temperament well by that point already. He discovered I had no stomach for dead things earlier that year. I remember being woken up early in the morning and told that not only would I not be going to school that day, 
I'd be getting my very own rifle. We had a huge and typically greasy southern breakfast, and my father, our dog Dan, and my brother and I made our way to a nearby field to hunt for doves. I loved playing fetch with the dog. When the first birds were shot down, I still viewed hunting in this abstract way. My dad sent me out to get the bird from the dog, who had run out and gently collected the fallen creature from where it landed. I called him, told him to heal, sit, drop it. Well, that fabulous and deeply satisfied dog did all of those things. And at my feet was dropped a beautiful bird with a broken neck and a dozen or so small holes in its chest. Blood and saliva were blending together on the bird's wings, creating a terrible gossamer of red and silver fluid. An involuntary downpour of partially digested hot southern breakfast leapt from me and landed on my favorite shoes, drowning a large field spider I'd been admiring while the dog was fetching the bird. The combination of the brutalized bird, the involuntary killing of that spider, and seeing vomit begin to settle into the small Velcro buckles of my sneakers completely broke my heart. My dad knew it right then. I wasn't going to be a hunter. been half asleep and have you heard voices I've heard them calling my name is this the sweet sound that calls the young sailors the voice might be one in the same I've heard it too many times to ignore it is something that I'm supposed to be Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers and me But I digress. Let's get back to that blazing summer heat of 1985. Later that night, after a day of waiting for something awful to happen, sort of expecting a punishment which just wouldn't come around, I found myself seated in a theater between my sister and my dad. The crazy production of Muppets on Ice was on, and I was totally ill at ease. I couldn't take my eyes off of Kermit. He was dancing and skating and singing and flitting about the stage with a pig, a bear, and what looked to me like some freaky accountant with a giant nose. I couldn't help but feel that I didn't deserve to be there, being serenaded by a frog after so brutally murdering one earlier in the day. As if he could tell what I was thinking, my dad snapped me out of my worried state by gently flicking the back of his fingers into my upper arm and whispering in my ear, Hey, you see that guy up there? Which guy, I said. That one. You know, the green one. What's his name? My heart was starting to pound in my ribs like it wanted out. You mean Kermit? Yeah, Kermit. What's his last name? Uh, the frog? Right, the frog. He gave my shoulder a little tap, pointing again to my guy on the stage, and said in a crazy and hushed tone, He knows.
Now, you gotta understand, my dad was a joker, a wise ass of Olympic prowess. He loved to craft little bits of craziness for us to fret over for a laugh. He'd make up these wild characters and tell us stories about them. Some were genuinely terrifying, but mostly they were funny. He was only trying to goof around, and I honestly know now he meant no harm. However, looking at the overly sensitive five-year-old in my skin, as I sweated and worried that the fluids in my stomach couldn't make up their minds how much to weigh, my old man could have never guessed how deeply unsettled I was at that moment. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind A break in the manic production finally came and my dad gave my sister and I a few bucks each to go get candy, popcorn, drinks, and a souvenir. My exposure to doing commerce with adults was limited to the single purchase of that small frog many months prior, but I felt like I could handle it. A gruff and middle-aged vendor selling toys and multicolored junk from a rectangular basket slung from his sweaty neck eyed me with what I now recognize as disgust as I approached with an extended handful of cash. I immediately handed him all the money up front and picked out two little flashlights with multicolored plastic fibers attached to the end of them. One for me, and one for my big sister, who was further afield, getting the snacks and the drinks. With every penny my dad gave me in the vendor's hands, I palmed the flashlights, turned to go, thinking our transaction to be complete. I nearly pissed myself when the vendor, in what felt like an unnecessarily harsh tone, yelled out to me, Hey, wait a second! My heart was an unevenly loaded washing machine in my chest rattling around like it might burst free and just keep on rattling until it returned to where it belonged. My guilty child's mind turned to the worst case scenario. Kermit did know what I had done and sent one of his goons to collect me. I started to run for it, hoping that if I could find my sister on the way out the front door to the theater, she might give me the snack so I'd have something to eat while on the run. I was almost two steps into my escape when I heard the rest of the irritated man's voice bang into my ears like a bird crashing into a clear window. Don't forget your change. Can't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind I won't let you With shame and guilt climbing on me like monkeys on a jungle gym, I collected that change, made my way back to my seat, and tried not to cry until I was back home and out of sight. I can still see that frog when I feel guilty, a giant dart deep in its neck and struggling to breathe. The little green clay frog which sits above my steering wheel reminds me to take guilt and mental anguish in stride, and to be creative in how I deal with it. Flashing back now to the tumultuous present day, when I walked outside in the calm and delightful early morning air to accompany my dog, Pele, on his morning constitutional, I contentedly sipped my coffee and looked out at the flowers, veggies, and of course, the lilies in the pond. Those old feelings of guilt, anxiety, sadness, and regret were upon me the moment I saw the first fish 
floating lifelessly, belly up and glossy-eyed. I was a little boy again, burdened with a strange weight processing the poisoned image in front of me. Inevitable, irreversible, a needlessly tragic betrayal of an unsuspecting creature. And of course, it was entirely my fault. No amount of time spent as an adult, none of the work I've done to craft myself into a person of strong moral character and dependability, none of the power one imagines one has over their reactions were available to me. I felt like I was right back in the sweltering and windless humidity of my childhood, staring into the destroyed body of a creature I thought I loved. Not only had I destroyed something so beautiful, depriving my friend of fish he's cared for for many years, I also cursed those fish to an unknowable amount of suffering and anguish before death. One of the many blessings and curses of gardening is the simplicity of it. One's mind has time to drift freely, or to concentrate so completely on the task at hand that almost everything else disappears. All that freedom of thought occasionally leads to a lapse in concentration. This is the first time in a great long while that it resulted in the death of an animal. In the days since the fish kill, I've thought a great deal about the Black Lives Matter movement and how paltry and insignificant my own anxieties are when considering the enormity and horror of what my black and brown brothers and sisters have faced for so long. The abject terror of being helpless to stop a man from choking you to death, all because your skin isn't the same color as his, or because that man believed himself to have a power none of us deserves. My black and brown friends are not the fish in this story, nor are they the moron above the pond. They are me, and you, and themselves, and no one, as is the right of all living beings to be anonymous. Although I'm of the mind that life is a pointless exercise in organic chemistry and seemingly endless games of consciousness, insofar as any lives quote-unquote matter, black lives certainly do. In fact, they matter as much as any other. As far as I can tell, all life on the planet is of equal value. Black, brown, eight-legged, breathing in water or not breathing at all. Of course, it gets muddy when you look at predator and prey, but within our own species, there is no such paradigm. We're all equal in our flawed nature, flailing about on this planet, living with hope, deluded by optimism, and faced fairly often with the grim reality that none of it has any purpose. Choosing to ignore that and being kind, seeking solidarity, and trying to live in harmony with others is what one must do if one wants to be happy and well. Whether or not we're an observed species remains to be seen. Perhaps the yeast in our bread or the microbes in our intestines are the observers, and someday we'll be accountable to them. Or maybe we'll never learn the languages of the rest of the animal kingdom and all their wisdom will remain off limits. Seems a bold wish to desire communication between all living things when we're so poor at it within our own species. For now, our communication with other species will have to wait until we figure out how to communicate with each other, regardless of what skin we happen to be wearing. These dead fish, and the memory of other creatures I've carelessly destroyed in my life, serve to make me think of my fellow man. We are such temporary creatures, so exposed and susceptible to powers far beyond our control. 
In the face of this, what is actually preventing us from coalescing as a species? We are all, right now, in each other's hands. There may well be no cosmic hand there to catch or guide us. Delicate, vulnerable, and swimming in the same waters, it's our ability to cooperate which has taken us to the moon and could possibly take us even farther. Cooperation means so much more than solving mathematical equations or complex problems of engineering. Cooperation is seeing yourself in another and treating yourself like you would like to be treated. Cooperation is being honest about who you are and what you are willing to do. Cooperation is not something you must do, but rather something which you have the incredibly rare privilege of doing if you choose it. And cooperation is paying attention to what you're doing with your time, being careful not to let your mind wander too far from this moment, because if you do, you might just let someone down who's counting on you. Remember, you're not a monster, you're an idiot. And in any case, no one of us is powerful without the other. And none of us is an other which makes us powerful. Calling out, demanding answers, pleading skies, cry for hours, dropping peace bombs, collecting prayers, sky that mirrors, sky that stares, asking, I've been to the mountains, and I've walked on the shore. I'm a man.